The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. Good morning. This is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Hayward and with me this morning are Ben Brooker from Treasured Perennials, Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery and Tim Sampson from Diggers Club, which has three nurseries, one of which is just up the road from Craig's. Just around the corner. <laughs> just around the corner. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> yes, I was a bit worried your mic wasn't working. Yeah, that was Tim. a test just then. Yeah, but yeah. it's clearly working, which is a great relief. <laughs> So, this week has been Mythicus. Some of us have been, some of us are going. And I've been twice. I went on the first day where it was torrential. <laughs> and I was so pleased that I had a media pass and could get into the media tent and could get somewhere dry for little bits of time. But needing rain, though. Needing rain. Oh, we need yeah. rain. Yes, yes. My garden, I went home and after it and, and dug, and it was still, you know. A tiny, tiny bit of water in the top. We and had, that's actually all. haven't had a lot of rain, really. When you think of it, well, we've had very little rain in the last in, in summer, in the end of summer. But this week, it felt like it's rained a bit. Like Mifkus has been a bit wet, but it's only been like a mill here or there. Yeah. So I had a look at the rain gauge where I was working for the well uh, this week, and we've had fifty mil just oh, in three days. You're so, doing better than yeah, us, then. Yeah, so yeah. we did really well. Yeah. <laughs> and that was that was where in Warrigal. In Warrigal. Yeah. So, but lucky. Because we, we lost a lot of water this year. We mm. had to dump, I think it was about 50,000 litres of water out of our tank uh, because our tank broke and we put a new tank in and now we've finally got rain. We can fill, we've filled our tank now. Yeah. So, yeah. So good. you can be more relaxed in the shower. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what about you, Craig? You usually get more than any of us up in... About the same as Ben, I'd say. Right. Yeah. Yeah, what? and it still hasn't sucked in very far. But, you know, I, I, I don't have any problem with it being dry at the end of summer. No, it's absolutely. Normal, it's normal and it's necessary. Mm. It, it, yeah. You're right, it actually is normal. This is normal pattern. We, yeah. shouldn't, we shouldn't be expecting a, best, a massive yeah. break in February. You know, it, it's the time yeah. when it dries. And you don't yeah. want your soil to be moist all the time and it mm. goes sour. Mm. <laughs> and you've got your little bulbs and things that yeah. you don't want to rot. That's yeah. right. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I've got a little, a little label in one part of my garden which says red marine. No sign. Really? No. Uh, right now? Yeah. Mm. So oh, I that's think, a worry. I think, yeah. Well, I think we had so much rain in, mm. in late spring and early summer. I mm. suspect it's rotted. Yeah. I suspect it's not there. It's gone to God. Yes. That can be rectified. Absolutely. I buy another Noreen. <laughs> by visiting Jane at, at Mifkus where she's got plenty of them she's on She's got heaps yeah. of them, yes, absolutely. That's Jane Tonkin who is actually on the show next week. And if you do go to Mifkus... Her stall is full of the most wonderful bulbs, which is always delightful. Mm-hmm. I love bulbs because I plant, I plant those South African bulbs and the, and all those spring bulbs that just 
disappear over the heat of summer so that I've got things that no matter how bad it is, no matter how bad the drought is, I know they're going to come up. No matter that my water has run out and I can't water. Yeah, so we've got a few South African bulbs growing as well and we're, ours are just starting to come through. I was a bit concerned about with all that rain we had well, towards the end of last year. I was thinking, well, I hope they didn't rot out, but, yeah, mm. lucky they're coming back. They're showing them. signs again now, yeah. as they should. Yeah. This is the behaviour they should be doing yes. right yeah. now, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Well, the, I noticed yesterday the Veltimias are coming up, mm. which I really – well, Velthemias, I don't know what, how you meant to yeah. re- pronounce it, but <laughs> however you pronounce it. Velthemia, do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, these things are all debatable. Yeah. Climatus, climatus. the main thing, isn't mm, it? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it is very nice to see these things beginning to come up. And, Tim, you've got a stall We've at got, Diggers. I, I mean, just, a I Diggers just, stall I would Mifkes. describe it as bigger than a stall. Actually. It is considered. It's quite an installation, actually. Mm. So if anyone hasn't been to Mifkus yet, please do come along today. In fact, sun shining is probably the best day of the, of the show to come along. Um, but we've – yeah, so Diggers always puts in a um, – a bit of a, a stand at, at, at Mifkus. Uh, this year, we've got a really... Um, it's a quite a spectacular representation of our two main gardens, which is uh, Heronswood and St Earth. So what our nursery have done is they've grown a replica border of each of the two gardens, so representative plants. We've got a sort of a, a, a beautiful photograph at the back. And if you sit in the right spot and take a photo in the right spot, you can pretty much take a photo like you're actually at the garden. Because there's really um, impressive. Like so we've got agastaches, we've got um, echinaceas, we've got some heaps of miscanthus, we've got uh, catmints, signature plants from each of the two gardens that sit in these displays. And they and, and it's really quite spectacular. We're really happy with the way it's come together. So, and and I also loved the vegetables. Yeah, in so the that was middle. the other bit I was going to mention. So we, what we tried to do this year was actually replicate in one stall or one stand what. What our gardens are about. So Heronswood, St Earth, with your features at the front. We've got espaliered fruit trees around the edges. We've got some large ginkgos, um, which came from speciality trees. So they're sort of specimen trees about the place. And then we've got our food cube mini plot section, which is a representation of the mini plot garden that we've had going at Heronswood for, oh, it's probably for 25 years. We've, we put that together now. Uh, and so there's this, so we're celebrating heirloom vegetables, we're celebrating flowers, and we're celebrating trees. These are sort of our, our main things. And also talking about how what we do at Diggers is preserve these gardens and preserve heritage gardens. That's part of our foundation mission, is, is to open up these gardens for people. They're, they originally were private gardens, now they're part of our membership and part of our foundation. So our members and the public can enjoy them in perpetuity. So yeah, come and visit both the stand, and then we'd love you to get inspired and come and visit our gardens. Because the thing is, if you become a member, you can walk into these gardens for free whenever you fancy. That's right. Yep. Which is fabulous. Yeah, yeah. And, and so yeah, there's... There's a whole whole raft of advantages to membership, so I'll give you a little pitch. But um, but free free entry is a is a um, is a really great part if you're a, if you're in Melbourne and you're in, and you're into your, into your gardens in, in Melbourne in particular in Victoria, you can visit each of these three gardens. We also have Cloud Hill um, in Alinda, which is the one around the corner from Craig's place, um, which is we we work in with um, with Jeremy there, and you get free access to all these gardens and. You know, if you think about it, it costs fifteen dollars to enter the garden. If you're not a member, you only have to visit three or four times across the year any one of those three gardens, and you've already you've already got your money back just mm. on visitation. And that's before you even get to the magazines and the online stuff. Plus, plus you're supporting 
so, one, the only thing in Australia that actually takes place is on as gardens. I mean, mm. old houses will get taken on that's by right. the National Trust, but gardens yes. don't get taken on yeah. by anyone except That's Disney. right. I was going to say that there's really no yeah. culture of preservation of no. old gardens in this country, mm. and you see it all the time that they, they go backwards when the, the current owner leaves. Mm. Or yeah. it gets pulled down, gets sold and pulled down. Yeah. Well, and and that's, that is writ large in the story with Cloud Hill with Jeremy Francis, who's mm-hmm. a regular on the show. He, he created the garden, as you know, around mm-hmm. the corner from your place, Craig. And um, a few years ago, he was in the position where he was potentially thinking, oh, we might have to sell it. What's it going to happen with it long term? So the Diggers Foundation, through Clive and Penny and, and their family and the foundation itself, approached him, had a chat with him. And we are now in an arrangement with Jeremy where he's when he decides that he's going, Diggers Foundation takes the property on and it will live on beyond him. So it won't become a tennis court or a car park or a... Or a weedy mess. Yeah, Jolly Dodd Street and has this issue with long acres too. You know, mm. what do you do with it? Mm. And and how do you ensure its future? And I had a talk to some of the people from Australian Garden History who went up for a working bee there uh, and they were absolutely over the moon about how beautiful it's looking at the moment. Uh, yeah, mm. except that it's the rut. So the stags are committing some new horror. You know, every time I go there, mm. the latest one was a big patch of pink convolaria that they'd obviously been having a fight in the middle of oh, uh, no. and pouring the ground and, you know, thrashing about and rhizomes everywhere. Did yeah. you take some for, for propagating? <laughs> well, I mean, it's there for me anyway. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I just tinker yeah. around the edges. I don't get into the middle of it. You don't get in <laughs> rutted in. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's um, that is the Sir Arthur Street and Garden, which is also in Olinda. There's yeah. quite a lot of things in Olinda, really, aren't there? <laughs> well, there's a lot of garden history in the Dandenongs. Absolutely. That's, that's, was or still is arguably the centre of horticulture in Victoria, in Melbourne. I think the beauty about it, it's not far from the city, mm. so it's easy access for everyone to, yeah. to get to, isn't it? It's incredible so. that you can you can drive forty five minutes and then go walking in the forest and get lost. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, and see amazing birds. It's one yeah. of the other things that's wonderful when you're up there. And if you want to get fit, you can climb some really steep hills, <laughs> which I tend to avoid. I'm afraid <laughs> my doctor assures me I shouldn't. <laughs> Nevertheless, yeah. but yes, it, I mean. And that's a beautiful garden, Long Acres, and with any luck it might be in the Open Garden Scheme next year, which would be a treat mm. if it is. Mm. But it, it, yeah, it's been an enormous amount of work over the last 20 years. I mean, it was disgraceful when I first started there. Yeah. Well, thank God it's been rescued. That's right. But I yeah. think about, I mean, my little garden, it's, it's only five acres and it's nothing like Jeremy's Beautiful, beautiful work. But, you know, I love my garden and I think it's really, it's special. It's quite special. A lot of people enjoy it. And, you know, I hate to think of what might happen to it if if my daughter's not interested when I go. And there's no, I mean, she is exactly like me at her age. I was the same. I was vaguely interested in growing vegetables and didn't think of growing anything else. And I don't know if I'd ever really have got into growing if I hadn't gone and lived in England. But, you know, I was there 20 years and you cannot, you just can't be there. There's definitely a different gardening culture in the UK. And and we were talking before about how Diggers preserves gardens and what happens to historic gardens here in Australia. They have a much better system for that. The RHS are long established. They've got partner gardens across the country. They've got a much more 
um, garden visiting culture, I think. So mm. you can actually sustain yourself from a, an open garden in many ways. And, and that's not – in Australia, we're off surfing or playing tennis or you know, doing other things. It's not as ingrained in our culture mm. as English gardening is. I also think that that longer-than-decade drought – knocked gardening out of quite a lot of people. Mm. I think that was really difficult. And it's it's ironic when I – because I go back a lot because I lived there for so long. Sylvie was born there. And I always, when I go, first thing I do is gardens. At the moment, I go when Hampton Court's on, which is the next big one after Chelsea. So I usually go to Hampton Court and I always go to open gardens because there are so many. Mm. And um, I – I sit with oh, in in one of my friends Fiona's kitchen, and she used to live in Seville, and she now lives in Dorset. And she said, "Oh, look, I have so much trouble growing this, and it'll be some salvia that I've just got scattered all over my garden." <laughs> so, in some ways, their gardening life is much more difficult because they, although it's quite nice as well, because you do have that time in the middle of winter where you don't do anything except read catalogues. Mm. There's nothing really to do outside. The soil's too wet. If you dig it, you damage it. And anyway, it's too wet and too dark to get out there most of the time. Um, and, and, you know, she struggles growing things that I just take for granted. Mm. And vice versa. Well, exactly. Mm. I mean, the other thing is that we can just grow things that she, she would – we can grow so many things. And when I think about the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne, which is one of the five best Botanic Gardens in the world, I'm quoting that. I don't even know what the other four are meant to be although I know Edinburgh and Kirstenbosch are both in there. Kirstenbosch is South Africa. But one of the reasons it's been such a brilliant garden is that they have been able to grow virtually anything, particularly mm. tree-wise, from all over the world right. because the climate has just been so mild. Although, again, yeah. the millennium drought... Not but Melbourne has that, has, is known for that. So mm. You've still got chill, you've got dry, you've got enough rainfall typically... So it is a, a unique gardening environment. I think um, on that point of we, – we sort of learnt a gardening tradition historically from the UK and we still in many ways have that legacy. I think there's a, a new wave of gardening that's happening in Australia that perhaps happened in the last generation, perhaps since the millennium drought or even before. My on, experience is lots of millennials are coming into the nursery buying plants. Mm. And and what I, are they I looking think, for? What are they, what are they, what's um, their mission? What's they their... don't often talk to me. They're, they're yeah. more interested in Googling things on their phones. Oh, but that's fine. You know, however you, however yeah. you want to do it. Yeah. But, uh, but you don't sell vegetables. No. So they're not there for vegetables. They're not there for vegetables. Which I think is fabulous. Yeah. yeah. Because that often is the way in, which is ironic mm. because in many ways vegetables are the hardest things yeah. to grow. <laughs> was, yeah. and, and they haven't experienced the diversity that nurseries used to be in the dandenongs. Yeah. So they're always astonished when they find my place. But, you know, I remember spending a whole day going to nurseries like mine up there mm. and you probably wouldn't cover them all. Mm. Yeah. So that's a beauty, I think, about the <clears throat> the expos because there's there's different growers there, and you are getting those things that are not you know your general stock. So because we we notice there is a lot of young people that are gardening now, and they are going to these garden shows, and they they're looking for those different things. And of so. course, the next one which you will be at is the Yarra Valley Plant Fair on the twenty second and twenty third of April in London. Yeah. yeah. So that's um something for people to note. You put something. Where did I see it? On somewhere, somehow on, on my phone, I saw you put something up about a competition that 
Oh, yeah, on our Instagram. Yeah, we're running a, con- yeah, a competition. Yeah, just I think it was um, – Kerry does the, the Instagram, I don't. So uh, it's – I think if uh, you, you tag a friend um, and you, you enter in and we'll give free tickets to, to the, the, uh, the, the garden show. The Yarra Valley Garden Yarra Valley Show. Yarra Valley Garden Show, yeah. Yeah. Fabulous, because it, it is. It's great, the Yarra. I love yeah. the Yarra Valley Garden Show. And, of course, Macedon always has its, which will be, I think, the first weekend of October is their next one. Yeah. And these these shows you do get. Mm. I mean, you get growers who don't, aren't, I mean, you're a wholesaler, but you get growers that aren't even wholesalers. They yeah. just grow in their backyard, but they grow enough that they bring. And they grow different things. I mean, completely different I mean, things. For, for years, you know, through our diggers offering our magazine online, we've offered things that are, uh, not always the mainstream, but we're nowhere near the level of, of, of little boutique nurseries that can really dig into some really cool stuff like Craig and Ben do. Mm. And support the support that, that you guys need is 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 for people to get excited about plants like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, the thing I, I always go to these fairs myself. This is personally myself. I go and I come home with these odd things, and I'm like, "What? How did I? Get, what am I going to do with this?" <laughs> okay, I'll find a place for it because it's fascinating. It's a different way to buy plants, you know. Because I think people buy plants. You think there's, a, there's an impulse buy, which is the sort of box store approach, and it's pretty. Then there's the you know the, the, the crazy pers- purchase I make for something re- rare and interesting with, with with you guys, which is fascinating. But I think most people, when they plan a garden, if if they're doing it properly, they they'll look at a suite of plants and they'll and they'll buy plants that go together. And I think it's important to figure out what your strategy or what your planning system is. What what do you want to put into your garden? What your garden to be? Mm. We're talking before about English gardens and English gardening um, uh, typology. Here in Australia, or in our own gardens, we've got to know what's our rainfall, what's our soil, what's our what's the how much we're going to irrigate it, what style do we want, and that should inform our planting decisions. And the knowledge that that Ben and Craig uh, and yourself, Virginia, have is invaluable to people because that's what helps you make those selections. Well, of course, that's one of the reasons we do the show. Yeah, because we bring in. I, I don't. I must count how many people. I think there's about thirty of us in all. That come in and make the and it, and it is I think the best gardening show in Australia and it's because of the diversity. Yeah, but when you see special growers like Craig and even the, the garden shows, they're all specialty growers. So you are getting information that you don't get anywhere else. Yep. So, yeah. and you notice that. I mean, I wander around at Yarra Valley or Macedon or wherever those shows are, and I'll wander around and I'll see people from here deep in conversation because they're just continually being asked questions mm. and that's the other thing. You can just pick up so much information mm. Mm. at that one. The, the Yarra Valley Plant Fair, Stephen Ryan is the um, the compare for it. Yeah. So he'll be there for the whole weekend and Jane Edmondson's going to be there. So She's there on the Sunday, I think she is, yeah. Yeah, she's doing yeah. something with the children, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Which yeah. Uh, I think they're, they're also going to run, I think, uh, uh, an auction on Sunday as well. So and any all the... The, the money raised for that will go to Kids for Cancer. What, so, what is the yeah. date for that? It's the 22nd and 23rd. 23rd of yeah, April. April, yeah. 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 So. I think the advantage of the smaller nurseries is that most of us are gardeners. Mm. They're not just not just growers. Yes, mm. and it does make a difference. Of course it does because you know, you know your stock and how it's going to perform in the garden. Mm. Which, is the, which is what... Ultimately, this is about. It's mm-hmm. not about buying a plant that looks good in a pot that you can. Mm-hmm. You, it's it's how it works in the garden. That's why Diggers has gardens. That's why way back when Clive and Penny bought Heronswood initially, it was the experimental plot. It was the test and try. We have a policy that anything that we 
put through our magazines and in our catalogues and online, we've grown it ourselves. Mm. It's which which isn't that common in, in the major in the major um, uh, in the major stores. No. That's an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> I was being careful. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, and you got to though. You got You got to trial it before you sell it because mm. then it just gives you that bad reputation too. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse than growing all these plants and then selling them all off, or, and everyone's planting it and it mm. just dying on them. So. Yeah, so that's something we're very big with. We'll make sure we'll trial it first, mm. make sure it's, it'll definitely grow. And, and one of the things yeah. I like about you two is that you have really unusual plants, which I think is exciting. I mean, I love it when I go to Craig's and I still don't. There's these things there that I don't know. I'm usually, I'll go into Bunnings and I'm looking to find any plant I don't know. Mm. I tend to know all of them. Mm. Which isn't, I mean, many of them are lovely. I mean, the Agastachia, I noticed it's all over the. Mm. Um, Mifkus this time. Mm, in, it, in lots of different stands. Yeah. Lots of different stands. It's a really popular thing and it's a, a, a fabulous plant. I love it at this time of year. I've got it in my garden, but, you know, I know it. It's mm. not unusual. Yeah. I love the white one, the, the licorice sort of mm. fragrance. I love just walking, brushing past it. And, yes. yeah, I can't grow them. Tried and tried and tried. You're too damp. Too damp, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine? I'm, oh, I'd love to Poor be fella. too damp. <laughs> <laughs> See this, but this is, goes to my point about that—that that knowing your location and knowing what palette of plants are going to work. Yeah. You know that agastaches don't work for you. They work great for us, yeah. especially at Heronswood. They're a terrific plant. Um, but that's because we've got milder, milder um, uh, conditions in winter. We got we got better drainage. You know, we're, we're more akin to where agastaches come from. Yeah. Yes, and and every now and again, I'll pick something out at Craig's and say, "You can't. No, no." Won't grow at your place. He'll refuse to sell it to you. He does, yeah. which I also think is really fabulous yeah. because you just don't – I mean, it, you know, sometimes I'll say, oh, well, I'll try it anyway. <laughs> to me, it's just logical. I mean, why would you sell something to someone who's guaranteed to die? Yeah. yeah. Well, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> now, this is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Hayward, and with me is Ben Brooker from Treasure Perennials, Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery in Olinda, and Tim Sampson from Diggers, the Diggers Club and Three Nurseries. And if you would like to join us, you can ring in on 94190155. That's 94190155. Or you can text us on 0488 809 855. And if you're podcasting, you can send us a, a what do you call it, email on gardening at 3cr.org.au and Chloe will pick that up next week. That is gardening at 3cr.org.au. So do join us. We love to talk to people. Now, Craig, what have you brought in? Oh, look, this is what I'm the most excited about is the um, Victorian Salmesia from the Alpine country, so Amicia pugliaformis, I think. Is that right? Something like that. I'm going with you. Yeah. (laughs) I've got no idea. (laughs) It's a difficult thing, and I got the seed has to be super fresh, and I got seed from Otto Faust's garden and had quite a good germination rate and now got it established in the garden. Oh, fabulous. It's very exciting. And describe it for us. it's, um, It's a silver leaf. Um, long strappy leaves and it has white daisies in the spring yeah and you're high enough for it apparently so well i suppose if otto's growing it yeah well no it's a difference every little bit of altitude makes a difference and he's higher than us right yeah 
And these come from the Alpine, above the tree line on the high plains of the Great Divide. That's so right, yeah. yeah, on the edge of Alpine bogs. Mm. So it likes a bit of moisture, mm. but it also doesn't seem to mind drying out over the summer, which I guess it would up there. Yeah, I think, I mean, having spent plenty of time walking through those that, that country, you find it on, yeah, exactly, by bogs or by streamside. Yeah. Hot blazing sun in the middle of summer, yeah. so they will dry out at some point. Yeah. But they're flowering pretty much on all that moisture that's coming after the melt. I yeah, think. That's, that's right. That's that's their that's their thing. Yeah, mm. extraordinarily beautiful. Mm. L- lots of them in New Zealand. How different fan- varieties? Fantastic. Yeah. There's a Tasmanian variety too, isn't there? Little one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, very compact. I think I've but got then... that one too. You do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because there was two forms at Otto's. I wasn't sure what the second one was. Yeah, because I think the Tasmanian variety has got a broader leaf, though. It's shorter leaf, shorter. but they're broader. Yeah. 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 And more clumping. And yeah, can, you, yeah. can you tell us the name again? Um, Selmesia. Spell that? C-E-L-M-I-S-I-A. That's so people can look it up if yeah. they're interested. And just... Victorian Salmesia so that I don't have to try and spell the second name. <laughs> <laughs> That's reasonable. And yeah. um, will you eventually be selling it, do you think? Yep. Excellent. I will. Next year? To me when I, <laughs> when I come yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, look, it's going to be limited because mm. it's, it's a fiddly thing. But, yeah, I'll have a few. What was the, what was the, the technique to get the seed going? So fresh seed? Yeah, fresh seed and yeah. right out in the open. Yep. Okay. Yeah, not not in a normal sort of sheltered seed yep. seed raising area. So not cosseted, not 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 no. not high humidity. Just no. yeah, yeah. Really exposed. Yep. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And up it came. Yeah. Mm. Quite quickly. Mm. Yeah. So you probably average around about twenty degrees. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So very excited. Yeah. And it looks to me like you've also got some of your favourites there. Cyclamen, Cyclamen Graycum is the the flavour of the month at the moment. It, it it is probably I think the one of the best for Australian gardens, in that it likes the heat. It likes mm. to have a dry summer baking, so it's it's one of the rare full sun Cyclamen. Am I right in that Graycum is Greece? Like Greece, is, yeah. yeah. So so it's it's from Greece, yeah. so from that hot, dry Mediterranean kind of condition, right to sea level. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and the bulbs have the capacity to live to an enormous age. Mm. You know, you'll you'll see them thirty centimeters across. Yeah, big plates. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And really deep roots. Mm. How divine! And they can grow. They don't need um, to be underneath a deciduous tree. Full sun. Full sun. Full sun. Yeah, and and. and a summer baking, and they don't self-seed like hedrofolium. You get a few seedlings, but not not nothing like the hedrofoliums or the combs do. Yeah. So but they they don't self-seed. A little bit, mm. but not you as, know, don't three or four seedlings rather than fifty mm. that mm. you get with hedrofolium, which I think is wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> I think for the listeners at home that who are thinking cyclamen or cyclamen that normal that normally that you see in the nursery, this is. This is a, a, a sort of a, a broader, flatter leaf with a little flower than it's sort of at ground level rather than the big showy thing that you see. Um, completely different. Completely different. Yeah. 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 So it's a big, big tuber, isn't it? Like a yeah. geophyte. It's like the size of a dinner plate. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah they get big. And, and the roots go right down. If you're growing them in a pot, you need to put them in a tall, narrow pot yeah. so that the roots can get down. Right. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, in many different forms of it, you know, I get seed from the Cyclamen Society in the UK and they always list half a dozen different forms of Graycum. Mm. Yeah, it's nice. And Cyclamen are just so wonderful at this time of year. They're just starting now. Just gorgeous, yes. I've got patches of pink and white all through my garden and I'm just loving it. The hydrofolium should be in every Melbourne garden. Mm. It's it's a standard for our climate. And that's what we need, things that are beautiful and things that are tough. Yeah, yeah, and straightforward. Like They'll grow. Mm. Don't, no fuss. Mm. Yeah. Mm. They grow from the leaf as well. Mm. Yeah, Not absolutely. So the leaf, the beautiful. Down. And such variation in the leaf. Some are mm. sort of almost pure green and then you've got some others that are just pure silver and then everything in between. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, the Europeans right. select them out for a leaf form. Mm, sure. Not, not necessarily flower colour. Mm. Yeah. Is that one fragrant? Is it fragrant, that one? The f- Graycum? Yeah. don't think so. No, I don't yeah. think so either. I'm never really down that low to get my <laughs> <laughs> The flower's only like three centimetres off the ground. Yeah, they're big. <laughs> well, there's a wonderful, for people who listen to um, 621 Radio National, there's a, a section called Conversation. And about two weeks ago, they had Alison Poulier talking mm. about fungi. And she did talk about how much time she spends lying down in the forest. (laughs) And she travels the world. She's here for our autumn and then she's in the Northern Hemisphere for their autumn. Following the fungi blooms. She follows the fungi. And it's a a great show and you can get it on on ABC Listen. Mm -hmm. It's really worth listening to. Alison Pouillet, I think it's P-O-U-L-I-E-T. And it's just a fabulous, fabulous but it's good because it's so important to have fungi in your garden too, just how much they will actually capture minerals like calcium and it, like whatever minerals mm. you do put into the soil, they, they do tend to hold nearly 100% of it. They don't mm. let go of that, that, those minerals. And it's one of the yeah. reasons, you know, when remember when we used to be told to double dig? Mm. Don't. No. no. <laughs> you just ruin all the, all the fungi underneath the soil. Yeah, always minimise, minimise, Dylan. When you say don't double dig, it's, it's really large areas. Mm. I mean, if you're planting a shrub. Oh, then you need to dig a decent hole. Then you need hole. to dig a decent yes. hole. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're planting a row of annuals, the same thing. But it's, it's when it's done on a large scale. Yes, yeah. just as um, just this is the way to make a garden. Double dig all that area. No, well, no, no. I, I think the double dig thinking was it was for vegetable gardening predominantly, and it was yes. and it was. I think the problem is really yeah, do it once off maybe as an establishment phase, yeah. but it's when you do it every season or twice a year mm. that's when you really destroy the structure. Some yeah. agricultural or some farming um, practice now they're, they're they're not all of them, but some of them are. Starting to minimise their their tillage, mm. so they're finding they're getting better better mm. better yield out of their their um, their crops. So, and they're um, getting but all... they're adding different mulches and and they're going in using microorganisms and mm. uh, instead of um, yeah doing the double tilling. Mm. Yeah, mm. because when you sorry when you're feeding, I mean basically what you're doing is feeding the fungi. Mm, yeah, and then they yeah. give it to the plants. Mm. Yeah, well, they solubilize a lot of the minerals. Yeah. And then, like, if you have, like, because a lot of them these days, they're, they're, they're brewing their own microorganisms and, and fungi. Um, and by doing that, their, their, their cost of fertilizers are dropping like nearly 50% because they're not, well, the fungi and the, um, and the bacteria they're, they're putting in, mm. they solubilize a lot of the, the minerals, all they're pulling the, the nitrogen out of the atmosphere. So, so there's less less fertilizers that you're using or nitrates. And 
Can yeah. I just add something that's current, just when you're saying that? Because in our, again, I'm plugging diggers, sorry, but in our current magazine, um, our we've, we've got a trial garden at the back of our um, property in Dramana where we grow all our... We, we grow seed, we save seed, and we also trial all our vegetable varieties beforehand. And our gardener there, Jace, has been doing a whole heap of work. I just reminded when you said that, yeah. where he's um, making his own teas. He's been and been um, tracking the results of that in terms of and using them as foliar feed. As, so and so putting um, a lot of effort into uh, um, comparing application versus not application, seeing what the differences are. But foliar feed, see, so you can do it during the day. That's fine, but the plant won't actually absorb it. So mm. it won't absorb it until probably late that night mm-hmm. or really early in the morning. So when you do do it, your foliar spray, do it in the morning. Yeah. So first thing in the morning, but do it under the leaf, underneath the leaf, not on top of the leaf, because really? most of your stay mates are actually under, under, underneath, it, underneath your leaf. But then deciduous trees, if you spray the, the stems... So, because they actually have the um, stomates, but they also have a transcuticulated um, stomate, which is actually a pore which is between the cells. So, it, it'll just absorb it through the through the stem, not so much the leaf. So, it'll so come you in get a more, more direct inject. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, okay. so, oh, I'm going to tell Jace that. Yeah, yeah. Nice. But first thing in the morning, underneath yeah. the leaf. Well, he, yeah. that's what he has been doing first thing in the morning. And this yeah. was in tomato crops, and he was seeing a massive in, uh, decrease in blossom end rot and yeah. um, and internode length. Yep. So we're getting really um, sort of compact things, uh, yep. compact growth, which is great for uh, for more productivity, more seed crop, more fruit crop. Mm. So it's been. Uh, we'll have a look at the, the the article that we've got in the mag if you like. Yeah. It's on. It'll be on our website. Yeah, so what's he using to shorten the internodes? This is very interesting to me. Oh, I'm I'm stepping beyond my expertise. Boron, okay. Boron's but, really but good. He's, what he's, he got he got a whole heap of oyster shells and crushed mm. them up and and made his own concoction. Oh. So, so calcium. So it's calcium predominantly, yeah. I think, oh. and that's why the blossom end rot wasn't wasn't um, wasn't as um, wasn't weren't seeing as much. So that's the principal one. But it's first year in, and we're going to keep doing this. Oh. But calcium needs a synergist. So boron's a synergist to calcium. So if you use boron three times a year as a foliar spray, not don't put it onto the soil. Mm. Uh, but there's a new mineral. They've been doing studies with the um, the silicate, but now they've actually uh, when they do the silicate, they cross it with um, potassium. So now it's called potassium silicate, um, which is around about forty four percent potassium, and then the, and you've got around about I think about the same in in silicate as well. Okay. So they're all synergists to each other. Mm. So. All them will will produce uh, cell structure, so you know you'll get good cell strength. So it stops any of your, your sap piercing mm-hmm. insects, any of your fungal sort of because all, all they're going going for is they're going for the sugars of the protein. Mm. So if you can strengthen that that cell structure, then you, you get you know less press, uh, pest pressure and, and fungal problems. So yeah, so applying the calcium, but then if you can apply the other ones, then you'll get a better result. Mm. Yeah. At the same time? No, because they don't mix together. So you'll do, say, your, your calcium uh, one day, then you'll do uh, your boron the next day, and then you'll do your potassium silicate the next day. Because if you mix all them three together, um, they, they will... Cancel they, out. Yeah, they just... Well, it it just goes... It just drops to the bottom of your tank and then becomes like a bit of a slurry. Mm-hmm. doesn't sort of, yeah, micronise mm-hmm. how you want it to micronise. But humates are another good one. So if you actually use like fulvic acid mm-hmm. and mix those through all those those minerals, then it chelates them. So you actually get more of an uptake of it all. Yeah. Well, we've got a call from Wendy in Reservoir. Good morning, Wendy. Hello. Good, thank you. And uh, thanks again for the always fascinating show that you have on every Sunday morning. <laughs> thank you. Um, and I wanted to also yeah, comment on, I've heard the Alison... 
Uh, yes. Yeah, on uh, Fungi a couple of times now, and it's fascinating um, just uh, when she talks about just how it's uh, it's a huge changer in terms of um, plants when you actually realise the link between the, the fungi and the, and the plants. But that's not related to my question. I have two, actually. Um, one of them is... When you talked before about cyclamen, um, I haven't had a lot of luck with cyclamen. Uh, um, and I think probably because I, I heard uh, one of the speakers talk about putting it in the sun. I, I think in the past I'd had one inside and it didn't do too well. And another one I put in shade and it also didn't do too well. And I probably did the standard <clears throat> uh, problem of, of overwatering as well. Um, so I understand that they can take a little bit of drying out. And my other question was to do with um, polystyrene boxes. I mean, I've seen even on uh, the ABC's gardening program uh, people planting uh, vegetable seedlings and herbs in polystyrene boxes. But I've also heard about uh, the possibility of chemicals from those boxes leaking into um, the plants and therefore the food that we eat. And I'm wondering if you're able to clarify that. Well, first, can we go with the cyclamen and it, it would depend entirely on what species you're using. If you're, right. if you're using the florist cyclamen, which is uh, persicum hybrids, mm-hmm. then they, they're not terribly long-lived. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you, those so are the you really need big to ones. get the specialist cyclamen. Um, hedrofolium would be the best one for you probably. Hedrofolia, okay. Hedrofolium, and you use them in um, deciduous shade. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Mm, thank you. Yes, they were given, uh, I think, the second lot that I were given to me, so I imagine they were probably the, the hybrid type. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I'll look out for the longer living ones. Thank you for that. No problem. And who'd like to take on the box? Well, the box is actually, it, the polystyrene will, it captures the heat a bit more. It's sort yeah. of because it's like an installation sort of mm. mechanism. Um, but about it leaching, I, I'm not known to leach any okay. any chemicals out of it. So. I haven't heard that. And no. I would be a little bit surprised because it's so used in in the for food industry. Food industry, mm. yes. Yeah. Not that mm. they don't get things wrong, but... Yeah, the only one I can see if it's <laughs> leaching something, if they've actually sprayed it with something, but... Mm. Something yeah. dissolving it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's the only way it would leach, I would have thought, is that there's some... Surfactant or something that's dissolving it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think for people that haven't got an easy way of growing things, it's a fabulous thing to be able to do is to actually use a polystyrene box. Cause mm. it, is there mm. some way you can seal it so those little bits of microplastic don't come off it all the time? That, that's what alarms me about it. Every time you disturb it, mm. you get those mm. little balls break mm. off. Yeah. Mm. N- not that I know. I don't yeah. think you can seal it. And I, I mm. think the thing is obviously not to move it too much. Yeah. But mm. And, uh, you know, if you can grow in the soil, you're going to be better off. But there are people who just find that too difficult. Yeah. And a polystyrene box is a reasonable way to... Um, and and one of the advantages is black plastic pots get so hot in the summer that mm. that becomes a problem if you've got a balcony garden, and it's particularly if it's high and therefore... Hmm. likely to be quite hot, um, which the polystyrene doesn't do. It'll hold the heat in winter, but it doesn't heat up frantically mm. in summer. No. Chooks eat it. I can't have it in my garden. Do they? Mm-hmm. Mm. They love it. They love polystyrene. They do. Well, don't get chooks if you're going to have polystyrene <laughs> boxes, Wendy. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I mean, it's great to get the three 
brains and commented <laughs> on that issue. Um, and it certainly clarified things for me. Um, and I also did wonder, I mean, if you look at the uh, pots we generally put our plants into, they're all plastic anyway, which is um, a similar background to the polystyrene. But, yes, I'll just remember not to have it around chook and um, get on with my gardening. And thanks again for your feedback on my questions. Can I just I just note on the on the pot issue, the pots compared to polystyrene, uh-huh. just raised there that you, we do grow in pots. So the industry is based on polypropylene PP5 plastic. That's what most of most of us ah. uh, grow. But PP5 yeah. is actually a very recyclable product. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. it's something that that um, you can almost reclaim the entire uh, plastic and reuse it. And the industry is set up to do that. Um, mm. So. The one challenge with that is that you can't put it in your curbside recycling like you uh, can with your yeah. with your other your, your um, PET plastics. But mm. there are lots of nurseries now um, where you can take your plastics in, and they will they will reclaim that. There's a website called pp5.com, and that's got okay. a list of list of all the locations where you can return your pots to. Um, mm. You can do it at diggers' locations. You can do it. There's a whole bunch of them, and there's more of them all, all the time. And that way, Great. whether they're coloured or black, they can come back into the system and then get used again. Uh, That's useful to know. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's it's worth knowing that even though they are a plastic, they are they are a highly uh, recyclable. And, recyclable. And where we're at now is there's so much of it out there. We might as well reuse it rather than move on to something else where we've got to use virgin material. Mm. Yes. I I um I think that's a great idea. And thank you for. Um, because like the area I live in in Reservoir, um, it's the old Housing Commission area and there's a, a huge amount of um, development going on here. And the landscape architects, when they come in, they always leave maybe 50 to 100 plastic pots mm. in the, um, uh, the thing to go into landfill. And I just think it's such a waste. Um, yeah, there are options. They can, they can do yeah. better than that. Yes, yeah. that is. That's I reckon they can appalling. too. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Thanks you. Again. Oh, Thank you very much, Wendy. Thank you. Bye bye. Well, that was very interesting. We've got a, a question. We have a comment from Rosie who points out that the National Trust in Britain is absolutely excellent mm. at pres- preserving gardens, which is yeah. very true. Which mm-hmm. the National Trust here yeah. cannot stretch to. I Probably mean, that's right. I think it's a resource, a resourcing yes, a resource. issue, and, and history. I mean, in the same way that the RHS, the Royal Horticultural Society of the UK, is much more established. There is an RHS in Australia, but they're nowhere near the no. the, the magnitude of the UK version. Very obscure. Very obscure, yes. And we have two questions from a home gardener. Do you know where I can get hold of Eureka blueberry plants? The It is Mountain Blue is the wholesale nursery, and I'm looking for them. Eureka blueberry plants? I'd mm. say you... Um, if you go to the Yarra Valley Plant Fair, there is a grower there. He actually has um, he has a pretty good range of, of fruit trees and, and berries and that. Um, he'd probably be the good bloke to talk, talk to. Otherwise, I'd say more, more a spring thing, wouldn't it? Yeah, they'll, they'll be around all year if, yeah. they've, if they've got them. Mountain Blue is a, is a nursery, I think. Isn't yes, it? Yeah. he's saying that's yeah. the wholesale nursery that right. grows Eureka. Oh, I see. So, okay. And he's yeah. looking specifically for Eureka. For that variety, yeah. And again, blueberries is one of those plants. I saw blueberries growing wild in Alaska. Now, clearly a blueberry that grows wild in Alaska is not going to like my garden in Seville. <laughs> you know, they come from an incredible... Not without, not without some, some of your loving care. Rather, rather more than I may have. I mean, you know, they come from a very wide range. But they're a bit hardier than what you think, though. Yeah. They're excellent under pine trees. 
And, they, and there are other cultivars, there are other species. There's rabbit eyes, which are bred through um, the southern states of the US, even growing down into Florida, which will take a lot more heat. So you, yeah. they get, there's, a, there's a range from Alaska through to Florida. Yes. So there's so, choice. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. You, you've got to choose the right one. For, mm. And clearly the Alaskan ones are not going to be suitable for Victoria. Pro- perhaps not. He clearly thinks Eureka is going to be a good one. So that. Yeah. Well, There's maybe plenty of other good varieties around. Yeah. 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 Sunshine Blue is a really good yeah. um, generalist one. You can grow it from Queensland down to the southern states. Um, and there's a number of others too. So maybe try Yarra Valley Plant Fair. It's the best suggestion we have on that one at the moment. Does the diggers have it? Not you... Eureka, no. no. But the other varieties? Uh, Sunshine Blue, we do, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then his next question. Can I put garlic in the same bed as peas? Do I need to separate them with a couple of rows of other veggies? Now, I take it very seriously, companion planting vegetables, and garlic definitely can only go with some things, but I look it up every time. I have a, in, in, my, in my bathroom, I have a great big diggers poster of, of companion plants. Why is that? Because with vegetables particularly, some plants don't like growing with each other. With uh, garlic? Really? Yeah, but I can't remember. Typic- typically, gar- the, the companion planting theory with garlic is the it's a, it's a positive benefit for keeping aphids and things away because the aphids don't like the, that sort of allium kind of smell or that, that scent. But and the, on the question, specific to that question, peas and garlic, I, off the top of my head and in my sort of general thinking, I would say that's okay to go. They're not going to compete too much against each other. Peas are going to are going to, you know, they're a nitrogen fixer. They're going to help the soil. Their crops are fruit. It's a bulb with a fruit. I would have thought they'd go okay together. Wouldn't the peas shade out the garlic? Well, if, you, if, it, if you've got it on a trellis and it's mm-hmm. next to it. So I'm thinking a climbing pea, I should have, yeah. you know, rather than a dwarf. So if you've got it next to it on a trellis I've just, and you've got it on the sunny side, I think the I've garlic just would be okay. Look, I've just asked Google. Oh, and what does Google say? Does and Google, Google, Google contradict me? Yep. <laughs> Planning your garden, garlic companion planting. However, it is best to keep garlic away from peas and beans <laughs> as it may stunt the growth of these crops. I think it would, I thought it would be the other, other way around because of the nitrogen. If it releases nitrogen, it would actually you know what I think? more, more foliage than... Part of what this is, I think, is, is to... Is to understand how a plant grows. How does it? How does it? What does a garlic need? What does a pea need? And where are their sort of crossover points going to be? Yeah, because peas are going to fix the nitrogen. That's yeah. So it's my my thinking. If, so if I can refute Google, is is that you put a trellis with your peas and probably you know at least sort of ten inches or you know thirty centimeters away from that, you could plant your row of garlic on the sunny side, on the on the northern side, and I don't think you're going to have a problem. No. Well, I always plant garlic in my rose beds amongst my roses mm-hmm. because for the for the aphids for the yeah. aphids yes mm. always and this person on garlic companion plants is the website says good for t- good for garlic tomatoes chives onions carrots dill cabbage potatoes lettuce parsley spinach eggplant rose <laughs> nasturtiums and marigolds they're good for anything mm. beetroot broccoli kale summer savory and yarrow and peas. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just grab a whole lot of them. <laughs> yes, well, I, I also think with companion planting, it's subtle. So you're not mm. going to, I mean, you know, everyone knows that basil and tomato like growing together. 
But if you grow one... Or is it that just we like to eat them together? <laughs> well, true. But I don't think if you don't grow them together, either of them are going to suffer. I mean, it's, mm. a, it's a fairly subtle thing. But there is... Diggers do sell a very nice um, poster which you can put up in your toilet and consider every morning. <laughs> yes, yeah. Study, which I should do, clearly. <laughs> so I'm not sure we've been terribly useful there anyway. But it's all trial and error too. I mean, that's what gardening's about. It's about trialling and doing experiment yourself because it may work for you and, if, and it may not work for someone else. So, But also, Ben, you just got to trial it. Things are changing all the time. As we, I mean, yeah. Alison, with her fungi research, is mm. changing how the whole world is looking at fungi. Yeah, that's, that's, it, it, it is really that's becoming a lot Our more knowledge involved. And, yeah. and what's that man um, who is trying to change farming? So that it's much more uh, how the reed warbler sings. That was the book he wrote about it. Mm. I mean, the effect that people like that. And what he did was look at how they did it in in Rhodesia, like that that long ago, back in the fifties and sixties. Another yeah, he bloke was looking at the movement of big game. That's yeah. right. But there's and, another bloke that's doing that too, called Graham Sait. Uh, mm. He's out of Queensland, and he's actually getting in with uh, a lot of the farmers. And, and like I'm saying, like he's producing and brewing these mm. microorganisms, and that. And he's he's noticing like cane farmers and saving like thousands of dollars a year um, on fertilizer, and getting better results. Isn't it great when it yeah. makes economic sense, environmental sense? Yeah, it's it's not hard to well, change. Them. And here we have someone who maybe is in their toilet, and they've got their their thing on the wall, <laughs> but she agrees with you. Hey team, according to my digger's companion chart, it says, it says, oh no, avoid planting beans, peas, sage and strawberry with onion family. All right. That's the last time we're listening to you. Yeah, exactly. Tim Tim has been sacked. He is now leaving the studio. Stick with the perennials. Can I ask Craig whether he'll be selling at the Yarra Valley Plant Fair for his cyclamen? If so, I'll make sure I buy them when I see him. That's Rosie in Mount Eliza. Uh, Rosie, if you go to that fair, his nursery is really quite close, I point out. Sorry, Craig. No, I won't be at the Yarra Valley Plant Fair. Fairs are not really my thing. But I always have them at the nursery. You can buy them online through my online store and I'll post them to you. Best go in to your nursery and have a look, yeah. and then have a look at your garden at the same time. So have yeah. a look for Craig online. Gentiana Nursery. So that's Gentiana, G-E-N-T-I-A-N-A, Gentiana Nursery. Rosie? And the, the list of cyclamen species is increasing by the day at the moment. How exciting. Yeah. Ooh, I'm going to have to go and buy more cyclamen. <laughs> And somebody else, nobody who's texting in is telling me what their names are. Some bunning stores have bins where, where empty mm. black plastic pots can be taken to be recycled. Something good about bunnings, mm. absolutely. Yeah, they, they were slow to catch on to that PP5 program, but I think they do have a couple of pilots that they're doing. So the more people take it in, the more people pressure will will force them to, to do to it. To do more. Yeah. Right, I'll take some in then. Yeah. <laughs> it's many years since I bought pots. Yeah, My and that's cus- another way to do it. Yeah. all well-trained. Yeah. They all bring them back yeah. to me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh. yes, well, I mean, putting them in the bin is just outrageous. So mm. is paying for them. Mm. <laughs> 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 Says the nurseryman. <laughs> yes, well, if anybody, if you would like to ring us, 94190155. Or you can text us, and do tell us your name, 0488 
809-855. Now on the text we cannot take photos because of the way the computer operates in here. So just send us a question. If you want to send a photo, try for gardening at 3cr.org.au and that will be picked up next week. So that's particularly for the podcasters. Our friend who's in Middle England or our other friends in in Minneapolis, in Michigan. We've got friends all over the world who are listening regularly, which is rather wonderful. <laughs> and we've got a lot of people up from way up north now who podcast us. Because at the Fernie Creek, I, I met a lot of people at Fernie Creek, which is another one of those wonderful plant sales. And quite a few were, were from the um, Blue Mountains and from Queensland who mm. listen to the show and obviously can't pick it up up there. So it's really I was, nice when I was at Mifkis yesterday, I did a, a talk and there was a, a, a couple and, and apologies to, to I can't remember their name, but shout out for, for saying hello to me yesterday. And they they were in Adelaide and they tune into the three CR gardening program. So, so that, it's 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 not just our little Melbourne town. It, it's fan, and fantastic. And of course, to podcast it, you just go to three CR gardening show and you get the choice. And if you can go back and hear ones that you missed previously as well, so I think that's a, a great. A great thing. I have lots of people coming in as a result of being on 3CR, and they all know my voice, but they don't know what I look like. (laughs) (laughs) Pleasantly surprised when they rock in there. (laughs) Yep, same happens to me. I I got stopped in Bunnings recently. Are you Virginia? I was in the nursery section, of course. I said, yes, I am. I admit it. I fessed up to being Virginia. (laughs) All right, let's go to another plant, Ben. I've got, uh, I brought in the Buffone, Buffone distichia. Um, it's another South African bulb. It actually comes from the subtropical areas of, um, of Africa. Did this go up on our webpage? It did, yes. Fantastic. Yeah, so it's actually when they, uh, they call it it's a, um, a tropical biome. So it's actually very high um, sort of rainfall, but very poor soil. Um, and being a geophyte, the uh, geophyte refers to being like the bulb or a swollen lignotube, um, which actually it, it, it stores a lot of its food in. Um, so it doesn't require, you know, very fertile sort of soil, so it can handle really bad, you know, harsh soils. So you could throw it into sandy soil safely? Yeah, pretty well, yeah, yeah. Tell us the name again. It's called um, uh, Buffone uh, Distichia. So Buffone actually refers to as death. Uh, distichus actually refers to as fan, fan shape. So, because what they would do is they would actually uh, put their spears and then push it into the the actual bulb, and there there would be the the the, the poison residue would be on their spears, so the spearheads. So the Quazulu Natal. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, but the, the how, how would it go? How do they go in a heavier soil? Like, a, would it, would they rot in a clay or too wet? Like yeah, I don't think I'd where, put them in a heavy soil. Where, yeah, where yeah. do you grow them? In containers mostly, or in the garden? Yeah, you, my, I mostly grow my, well, all my established ones are in, in big pots, big mm. nice terracotta pots. Because I, I think because they're a, an unusual plant, they're I love so to, I architectural. Love to, yeah, yeah, I just love to showcase them. Yeah. Um, but they'll have seen them in the garden. Um, this was actually uh, a garden up in uh, um, at Mansfield. And he's actually got it on a raised garden bed. Um, he's got, I think, about nine of them or something like that in, mm. in this raised garden bed. Um, and then just has his ground cover growing around it. But I presume it would be nice free drainage. Yeah. Yeah, I think anything heavy. Because mm. um, they're not – they don't have their foliage all year round. So they will lose – this, this particular variety will lose its leaves over, over winter. Uh, then the other variety 
comes on, which is the the phone uh, hemithroides, I think it is. Um, it's a bit more of a broader leaf uh, than this one. Um, but, yeah, but when it's got no foliage, yeah, you want to sort of keep it dry. Very so, rare to get a bulb with decorative foliage. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So could you spell buffone for us? So buffone is B-O-O-P-H-O-N-E. Yeah. And if you want to have a look, go to our Facebook or Instagram page and you will see it there. I will take one to um, to Yarra Valley. Um, it's something that I do take, but very, very small numbers because it is something to get for it to flower and set seed. Um, I've had one in for about nearly 15 years, 15, 16 years. Um, yeah, so that's what I mean. And it's still... Yeah. How, the one that's... Here, which is that the one that's on the Instagram? How old is that? Well, no, the one I brought in today—that's actually—I didn't. That's not the photo. The one that's, okay, that's on the, one on the photo. Yeah, yeah, that one is about sixteen years old. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's one I brought in. An indication of how slow they are. Yeah, the one I brought in is probably about eight years. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so they will take a while. So I, I think when I, I have read some, actually, will say that it needs fifteen leaves to flower. Yeah. Uh, mine's got 19 flowers, uh, leaves, and it's still not flowering yet. And that's um, got 15, I just counted. Yeah, I think it's it's more the maturity of the actual bulb. Mm. Um, Which makes more sense. It's yeah. strange when people would put a number on something like that. So, yeah. That, that, that's it's quite a claim. It is, yeah. Well, Clearly not true either. What, there was another, it was actually a South African uh, sort of paper. They actually said that it, theirs can take up to 25 to 75 years to flower. So you can sort of show the range of what the maturity. Seventy-five is rather yeah. a long time. Yeah, but in their natural environment, their their bulb is quite quite big. Mm. Yeah. How do you put a dollar value on it? Mm. Usually uh, by age. Yeah, mm. it's uh, um, it, it's it's not for everyone. Mm. Um, it is something that you usually got a collector will be looking for it because you don't see them around no. at all. And That's if you not do surprising. Them, yeah. yeah. So when I you do that, see them, they get I, snapped I up. I did see. Um, Lyle at Ro Rama down at, yeah. at, at Lara, he had yeah. some a little while ago. Yeah. Um, so they, yeah. They're but around. They're, but they're not, yeah. you don't see them, and, and they're not cheap either. No, no, they're not. For the, for the reasons we've just spoken about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got this in my garden. The Brunsvigia. Brunsvigia yeah. Josephinii, mm. and that took 10 years to flower. Mm. And it's in flower. Yeah. Which is really quite extraordinary. And it was completely covered by salvias and I'd forgotten it was there and I pulled some of this I cut the salvias right back and bang, up it came and flowered for me. But the buffone flower is very similar to that, but a bit tighter. But the funny thing is with this, if you actually got it flowering in a pot, you wouldn't bring it inside because being in a confined space, it actually will give you sore eyes, headaches. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah so right. the, the plant's actually quite poisonous. So. Yeah, it's quite a triffid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so leave it outside. <laughs> Just admire it from outside <laughs> and yeah, do. don't eat it. <laughs> right. We have a call from Mary in Clifton Hill. Hi, Mary. Oh, hello, Virginia. Hello, everybody. Um, I've had to leave my garden and I'm just looking for a few plants that I can't get at the moment. One was a Japanese clematis tegrafolia raguchi, which is the most beautiful thing. It's very delicate yet strong, like Japanese art always is, I think, and um it's a glorious thing. It's a gentle climber. It doesn't really it climbs through things, and what it doesn't. Was, what was its last name, Mary? Integrifolia. Um, Integrifolia. R- 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 a hard double O G 
G-U-C-H-I. And it's a, it's a little purple bill, and then it separates at the bottom, and, it, and, it, and the segments curl up. It's just exquisite. It looks like a purple enamel. Like I grow. And then it has these fabulous um, seed heads, and then they go to little puffs. Yeah, I do grow cl- Clematis uh, integrifolia. Oh, do you? Yeah, but not yeah. that particular variety. I'm not oh, familiar with that no. variety, but I do sounds grow the Integrifolia. Sounds it, a bit like yours, Craig, the mystery I've one on an, the fence. Yeah, I've got Integrifolia too. Integrifolia is a herbaceous perennial. Yeah. Ah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, what, the other one was um, I'm looking for a Japanese plum blossom, but, I, you know, I don't want to start. I want it to be a little bit... Um, Large. Japan, Japanese which bottom, blossom? Uh, just a plum blossom. Oh, the plum. Hmm. Prunus so mume. Exquisite, mm. exquisite scent, yeah. Prunus mume is around. I've seen yeah. that. In, I think I think I've seen JFT or some of the other um, tree nurseries have had it around. So that one's that one's more common than the previous the clematis. Yeah. So yeah, you, you get yeah, to get that really. bare rooted. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, yeah. So probably wait yeah. till the bare rooted stock mm. starts to come into the nurseries uh-huh. and mm. yeah, maybe. Um, ask around there. Yep. Oh, that sounds a good idea. And that Mary, I good. will look around for your clematis, and if I find it, I'll mention it on air. It, it really is something quite beautiful. It's, um, a lot of the clematis are very beautiful, and once you get them in, they're actually very easy to grow. The, the first year is difficult, but after well, that, well, this one, uh, this one I had on, you know, on a, on a pretty shady back. Deck and it did nothing. And then I put it out on a wall that had a, a westerly aspect, and I it's just gone so prettily through things. And um, but I, I've left it for the, the new owners, and um, you know we couldn't get it out. We really just couldn't get it out, even though it, it looked like you know it's smallish, but. Um, you know, they'll, they'll cherish it, I'm sure, but I have to have it. I really have to have it. So, um, look, thanks for that. And thanks, Virginia. Thanks very much, Mary. Okay. Excellent. Cheerio. Bye. Bye. Whoopsie daisy. Press the right buttons, Virginia. Cameron from Adelaide. I had a great time talking with Tim yesterday at the oh, Diggers Cameron. Display. <laughs> Question. <laughs> I'm wondering what inspired each of you to start gardening? Well, there's a hard one. I'll start. Cameron, apologies for forgetting your name and shout out thanks for having a chat yesterday. Um, what got me into gardening? Um, I, my background was actually environmental management. So I, was, I originally studied uh, natural resource management and ecology and um, uh, um, environmental science. Uh, but the bridge for me was, was actually, as, as Virginia, you were talking about earlier, Growing food myself, a sustainable mission around food production, whether it be home orcharding or um, really a permaculture kind of system, which I saw a synergy between ecological systems and and food production. That's what sort of was my gateway, if you like. Um, And then I went to the UK, actually, similar to you. I actually worked in a nursery in in, um, Kensington, uh, and that's where I got a passion for all things gardening and brought that, that back to Australia. So... I don't. I don't know if there's any. And I went and studied Burnley and and did those bits and pieces. Um, so it's a bit of a mixture. So I think old, always ha- always a natural, always an affinity for the nature. I think. How is old were you when you were at Burnley? Twenty uh, five. Yeah, I came back and did a graduate diploma at Burnley. That was my. 
that was when I decided that gardening was really my thing. Right. Yeah. And Craig? I bought my first plant when I was six, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Go to your dad. <laughs> mum. Your mum. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was Cyclamen persicum at the St. Mary's Bazaar in Whangarei. Wow, that's great that you remember that detail. I do. Yeah. I remember it very clearly. I oh, took it home I? and planted it in mum's garden. And oh. I remember it when I was really young. I was about the same age going to – it was a really strange shop that one of my uncles had and he sold pets and plants <laughs> and buying camellias <laughs> for her new garden. Yeah. But we talk about England having a fabulous um, – garden culture new zealand's pretty good for its garden culture it too garden uh, you mm. get wonderful gardens mm. in new zealand my grandfather was he was a real victorian gardener vegetables roses and annuals and he'd plant <laughs> the annuals in patterns a bedding old yeah. school bedding yeah yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> they still do that at he Q. taught me how to work a mulch pile oh how so. divine yeah. yes what about you ben uh it was definitely my mother and my grandmother we were always in the garden so yeah, and then then when I started working in a, a retail nursery, big retail nursery in New South Wales, um, I was their plant buyer, so I was pretty well shipped mostly north, Queensland and, and all that to all different nurseries. So I was seeing and bringing different stuff back in, and and then and then also at the same time I was studying um, uh, through Charles Stewart University uh, horticulture, um, and then really got intrigued in botany and, and plant how actually a plant functions and. And, 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 you know, how it all moves inside and, and breaks down minerals and all those sort of things. Um, yeah, so that's how I sort of really got into it, that sort of fascination of it all. Well, I started growing when I lived in Sydney, but no, but not enormously. Then I moved to London and then I came back after 20 years and I hadn't lived in Melbourne for 25 years and I had my father and my seven-year-old, both who obviously ne- my father needed support at that point, and I thought I was going to die of boredom. And I went to Burnley. I was 48. And I went to Burnley and did, did a Cert 4 and it changed my life. I ended up here. <laughs> it, and so it made coming back to Melbourne just something that was exciting instead of just a wrench because I adored London and I didn't intend to stay but my daughter turned into an Australian and I just didn't feel I could take her back. <laughs> so, so that was that. Yeah. Now speaking of flowers tessellas in that's now what monbolk i think it probably is monbolk it might be sylvan it might be monbolk but anyway tessellas on that that borderline isn't it yes tessellas is having their car bloom um festival and i went to have a look because i thought i'll see whether this is worth talking about it is fabulous they have got this huge paddock just full of blooms and what they do every year is they plough them in so all the goodness goes back into that soil and then they do it again and it's absolutely beautiful and they've got beds and beds of cleomies which is one of those flowers that I just adore so it always knocks me and they're also during on weekends and during the school holidays they're having um, a circus there so that you know for well I suppose not only kids to do lessons with the circus and They've got a stage sort of at the back of this fabulous paddock full of things. So if you're interested, Carbloom is an exciting place to go if you love flowers. There are so many flowers. There are just flowers everywhere. And you can look that up on 
the website, look up Carbloom, K-A-B-L-O-O-M, or Tesselars, which is one another one of our nurseries. And we actually have two tickets to give away today for people to go to Carbloom. So ring in and talk to Doug on 94190155 for one of those passes. And it runs, it's running now and it runs till Anzac Day. And the flowers are rather nice. I was talking to Paul Tesla. This is some time ago in in the supermarket, which is you know my social event, and <laughs> he said to me that it was a Japanese concept. Oh, really? The the annual festival. Yeah. As in as in annual plants. Yeah. Well, it is. It's, it is. It does look really quite stunning because it's yeah. huge. I mean, it's acres, mm. acres of flowers, and how they managed to get them all coming out. And she was a bit. Uh, Rachel was a bit distressed because. The um, sunflowers are a bit late because it's been cold, but they're just coming out. I could see two or three sunflowers out a couple of hot days and they'll all be out as well, and that's the last lot to come out. Mm. It sort of fits nicely with the tulips, doesn't it? Yes, Mm. yes. Yeah, Yeah, because you plough them in and then plant the tulips. Mm. I I think it's fantastic that Mm. um, they've got that awareness. And one of our – oh, I lost it. I had somebody else was saying it used to be possible to get your your pots cleaned, and it's much better if if mm. nurseries clean their pots and reuse them rather than recycle yeah. them. That, I guess that's the, always the case: is the less energy that's spent, that the better the result. Yes, yeah. and of course that's what you do, Craig. Mm. You re you re, you reuse yours. Yeah, I do. Mm. Yes, and so, yes, we should encourage people. Well, I, I've always got pots in my garage because I never know when I might need one, <laughs> and I'm always giving them away. People say, oh, Virginia, I need some pots. You've what, got some. What, what's your cleaning technique? I don't approve of cleaning them. I think that the plants should be exposed to every pathogen available. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it makes them tough. Yep. Yes. Fair. That's entirely fair. That's quite an ecological approach. Well, yeah. fertilising. See, mm. see that... Builds the immune system in a plant, so you know mm. if you can build the immune system, that will actually fight off. Mm. You'd be surprised how many bad pathogens are in our soils, mm. yeah. and there's all all good pathogens which actually fight off those bad pathogens. Exactly. As well. And yeah. then when you're cleaning the pots, you know you're using chemicals to do it. Yeah. That's why I asked the question because yeah. if if it, your approach is what a home gardener can do, it's what we can all do. Yeah. We don't have to put you know horrible bleach and chemicals on on them to to, to do the job, yeah. which is which is what um, is popularly uh, perceived that you have to give them a, a disinfection, if you like. Mm. But clearly you don't have to. Mm. No. Now, Fermi says that the Raguchi is a hybrid clematis that is available in the trade. And then the next person who texted in after Fermi said that it, Lamley used to have it. Well, Lamley is still going. They haven't closed. So mm-hmm. you could text, I think, if Mary um, looked up Lamley to see if they've got the Raguchi clematis integrifolia. Would Stephen Ryan have it? Don't know. Mm, Stephen, he'd be another one to look at too. Yeah. yeah Dicksonia rare plants. I'm going to have a look around and see if I can find it for Mary of Clifton yeah. Hill. Yeah. How do I get rid of white lawn chafer grubs in my vegetable garden? They're eating my seedlings. Need some magpies. Jan, <laughs> Jan, Jan you need... at my place. Yeah. <laughs> Birds. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Caterpillars, uh, it goes back to, I always believe in bricks levels. Um, it was actually broadly used more in the uh, like grape industries, like bricks levels, but it's actually been more used now in general horticulture. Um, so the higher the, 
the bricks, which is your sugars in your, in your plant, um, the the less the actual plant's actually going to, or the uh, caterpillar's going to eat it because of the high sugars, it'll ferment in its stomach and, it, and it'll kill the, the, uh, the, the grub. So the idea is to have good sugar or good flow throughout the plant um, yeah, and then that you'll find they'll, they won't so, so eat it. So are you saying the healthier the plant... And as is always the case in like organic systems, is that if you the more you can support the plant to be healthy, the less pest impact. You yeah, have. but it's things like um, what we miss. We tend to put like a general fertilizer down, mm. but it's our minor elements which actually helps the uh, like bricks levels. Uh, good one is calcium, boron, uh, but then you also got your manganese, uh, molybdenum, um, just those minor elements. So molybdenum is not really in our soil. So all we need is point point five, point mm. zero five. Uh, per million uh, is the actual ratio is what we need in our soils. So there's only very tiny amounts. Um, but she's talking about seedlings. Yeah. And that's different. I mean, if you've got grubs eating your seedlings, the seedlings aren't getting a chance to be strong enough. So so she's seedling vegetables. Yeah. So raise it off the ground if you can or put some sort of barrier around there. But then yeah, I think once you get about your second leaf, then mm. you can start sort of fertilising with like using a foliar spray but a very diluted form. So you want to start getting those sugars so, happening. So I think she was talking about, was it chafer grubs that are eating the roots? Is that yes, they're is? white lawn chafer grubs in my vegetable garden. So they're yeah. in the soil. Mm. Um, and so it sounds like something's out of balance there. Um, if you've got that many that they're – because they, they, they need roots to eat, right? So that's why they're in lawn because there's lots of, lots of um, root material in a lawn. In a vegetable garden, when you're, when you're in that sort of changeover cycle and seedlings, you don't have that – that sort of host material. I'm surprised that they're still there eating seedling roots. Mm. Um, something's out of balance. There. Yes, I think I'd probably have a little dig and mm. actually retrieve as many of as I could and go and find somebody with chooks <laughs> or cockleburrows. <laughs> yes, or put but them, Just put them out for the yeah. birds. Yeah. yeah, but but fertilize. Fertilize, yeah, for strength. Yep, yeah, yep. and so push them through. Even just for calcium, if mm. you want, just go and buy full cream milk. You just dilute that into, you know, 100 mils to every five litres of water. Just spray that underneath your leaf um, yeah, and you'll find that you'll, you'll start seeing results. So even such a small plant, you can mm. still get a, a high content of, of sugar in the, in the mm. plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they, they won't attack it. Well, I hope that was useful, Jan. I'm not sure whether it was. We have a call from Sue who has an opinion on clematis. Good morning, Sue. Hi, Janet. Hello, Sue. darling. Yeah, I was going to say, I've got Rigucci in my garden. Do you know where you got um, it from? Tesla's. Ah. So, um, and as far, as far as Stephen, Stephen's actually got, it's not Rigucci, but he's got a lovely one that's pink with lemon that's similar to the um, purple Rigucci as well. But I've had it for about 10 years. I need to know how to do clematis cuttings, I think. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I've got it's... it in Christie's garden, but it's, um, I got it at Tesla's probably. Actually, it was probably just after I got to know you, so probably 13 years ago, but I'm pretty sure that I've seen it for sale in their catalogue. So there's another one to try for Mary and Clifton Hill. Try Tesla's. Yeah, I find yeah. the integrafolia divides really easily. You get lots of divisions of an old plant. Yeah. I have to – mine's right in the centre of Christie's garden crate, so it's like an obstacle course. Yeah. But uh, I love it because it spasmodically flowers, so mine's been flowering on and off for probably the last two months. The other thing you can do with clematis 
although it might be difficult given where yours is, Sue, but is that you can layer it. If you get a piece of, uh, yeah, of clematis actually, and then actually pin it into the ground just and that will root. Nick it, that's all. Mm. Yeah, just expose yeah, that Yeah, I might tissue. even do that. I've got it at the bottom of a um, sort of trellis, but I tried doing um, Tangutika. I was Googling um, how to do clematis, but I, I, yeah, didn't have any luck with it. Um, I think it's. In, I mean, Ben just said you need to expose the cambium layer. You know, you need to nick it. Just take a bit of the surface. I did. I did that. I did it like it's an unusual method that they actually use for clematis cuttings. Not the normal way, and you're growing it sort of sideways. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, on the companion planting too. You know how you were talking about companion planting. Mm. I did an experiment years ago with putting basil and tomatoes together because it says that basil improves the flavour of the tomatoes and it actually did. And I found that the basil plants grew better next to the tomatoes. And the other thing is that they, um, the basil actually deters the insects and um, pests that actually attack um, the tomato plants. And you know how we were talking about uh, mozzies the other day, Jim? Basil's another one that deters mozzies like lemongrass does. My dog has taken a great liking to my lemon pl- my lemongrass, unfortunately. Yeah. Not getting yeah. bitten by mozzies, though. <laughs> and my lovely cyclamen flowering um, craig that I got from the youth, I think it's what you're talking about at the moment. And I have to say... Because of my back and stuff, I haven't got to water much and I've planted it underneath my big tree fern and that garden is so dry but it's just beautiful and it spreads so quickly. I can't get over how quickly it hybridises. Yeah, they self-seed. Yeah. Oh, is that how it does it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, yeah, no, it looks really good. It's a great show, guys. Oh, thank, thank you, Sue. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Okay, I'll... Thanks, Let darling. you go, and hopefully the lady can find the thing because it's absolutely beautiful, that clematis. Excellent. Thanks very much, Susan. Okay. Bye. And we've got another call from Ruth in Box Hill. Good morning, Ruth. Oh, good morning. Um, thanks for taking my call. Uh, yeah, I've got a, um, a large uh, pot of nareens, and um, uh, they're in flower at the moment, which is lovely, and... Uh, the only thing is that they've uh, I've noticed some dandelions growing in between the clump and I'd, I'd love to remove them. So I'm just wondering uh, when would be the best time to do that, to, to pull the... I know I should do it after flowering, but um, exactly when should I pull the whole clump of bulbs apart and rid, rid the weeds? I'd wait for the nerves to finish, then, then lift yep. them. When the leaves have gone down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When the leaves have gone down. Yeah, because if you start pulling it before the leaves actually die, so what the bulb um, is doing is when they finish and then go dormant, they will draw the minerals out of the actual uh, leaf and then store that mineral for um, when it's ready to start reshooting again. So because it needs because it uses a lot of energy for for reshooting. Um, so wait until they finish completely dying off and then then lift them. And then you can so 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 when they're finished flowering, they'll they should actually throw up some leaves. Is that right? Yep. The leaves generally, then, generally they should be coming up now with the flowers. Well, they, yeah, they, yeah. They they are starting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I wait. I should wait till those leaves die down. Look, I'm much more random than Ben. 
Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm inclined to do them when they're flowering because then I know where they are. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and look, Noreen's always spit the dummy a bit when you disturb them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You probably won't get a lot that. of flowers next year, but the year after they'll right. do it. And they'll You're be right. Craig's right. I mean, if you did do it now, I don't think it's really going to affect them that much. It just they won't flower as well. Yeah. It'll be the next mm. year when you've. Oh, I wonder if there's a way of getting the dandelion out without having to pull them up. Like, Break Vinegar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I just see it's so tightly knife packed I can't get at them. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, no, I would get it out properly, I think, because dandelion is persistent mm-hmm. and noreens mm-hmm. are persistent, so they you know, they might yeah. sulk next year, but then they'll be back. I have dandelions yeah. that have been in my garden for years <laughs> and I just break the top off them and give them to the chooks. And, mm. and, All right. Yeah. Um, when I replant the noreens, um, should I plant them... Like, they're not planted very deep. Like, basically, they've grown by neglect <laughs> um, rather than my good gardening technique. Um, do I just plant them on top of the potting mix or, or slightly in, set them in slightly? A bit below, I'd say. Mm. A bit below. Mm. Yeah. Would you say that? Bit? Yeah. Yeah, just below. But so I'm you want to just cover the bulb, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. but not deep. Yeah. But not the neck. But not deep, yeah, the neck no. wants to be just at surface yeah. level. Yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, because when I I bought them from the um, Flower and Garden Show years ago and uh, planted it and nothing actually happened, uh, so I just took it out and threw it into a pot by disgust. And uh, lo and behold, it started flowering a couple of years later, so it's, as I said, um, grown by neglect. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, okay, so then I'll try and remove them. So I could remove them now, but I may uh, lose some uh, flowering for next year. Oh, look, I, Only a feeling, little bit. Yeah, my feeling with Noreen's is that it doesn't matter what time of year you disturb them, they spit the dummy yep. and they don't flower the next year. Mm. So yeah. I would just do it. Yeah. Yep. And, and also with a pot, you're not going to be damaging the roots. No, because... Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, she is because yeah. she's getting the dandelion out. Yeah. Mm. But not massively. Yeah. yeah, no, I'd go for it. Yeah, all right. Well, thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Excellent. Yeah, bye. Bye, Ruth. Now, I've got a few messages. Let me run through them. Bunnings and nurseries need to have a facility where empty potting mixed bags can be dropped off for recycling as people throw them into the rubbish. However, they also put them in recycling bins where you can't put soft plastics anymore and sometimes even green bins. And you see um, plant pots in green bins too, which is ridiculous, Mm. which is absolutely true. Here's a community service announcement. Belgrave Food Garden are hosting an Autumn Harvest Festival today. Free kids' activities including seed bomb making, hula hooping and a silent disco, permaculture and gardening talks for adults, 12 to 4 today, all free at 1624 Burwood Highway, Belgrave, behind the Cameo Cinema. Well, that sounds like fun, so head head to Belgrave today, everybody. Thanks for the entertaining and informative show this morning. I've got a south-facing wall in Mount Dandenong with a 50-centimetre deep garden bed in front of it. Any suggestions of what I might plant there? I'm starting from scratch. The warm is creamish painted brick. What did she say? South-facing. I've got a Laura Petalum nearby, which is a nice colour contrast to the house. Thanks so much, David. So we've got a south-facing garden bed. In Mount Dandenong. In Mount Dandenong. The world's your oyster. <laughs> <laughs> I would drop round to Craig's today if I was you. Yeah. I would have thought... Um, you Fothergilla? Fothergilla, Plectranthus. Mm. Yeah, 
There's, there is actually, Mount Dandenong, there's lots of things you could do. It sounds quite exciting. I like the loripetalum, so to have some contrast to the loripetalum. Variegated anopterus. What's that pepper leaf one that you showed me the other day? Um, that's you eat the leaf and it gives you a nice strong pepper. There's oh, two oh yeah, the, the kawa kawa. Yeah, yeah, yeah so that's yeah, very yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the that texture. Would grow there. The two varieties. Yeah. yeah. That's a piper, piper excelsum. Yeah, because you've got b- both of them. Both the forms, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there are a few suggestions. I think it would be a good idea for you to go and visit Craig. You don't have to buy anything, but it'll give you some good things to look at, to think about what you... Because it, it's the same sort of environment. You'll see things that um, can grow. So, And Craig's address is... 138 Alinda Mombolk Road in Alinda. So it's not far away. Next one. No, Mount um, Lamley doesn't have the Clematis Integrifolia Rigucci anymore, nor does Tesla's, where I got it in the first place. Here's a lovely account of its origin. The late Kazushi Ozawa to be picked as a single flower for the traditional Japanese tea ceremony. So that doesn't tell us, unfortunately, any more, although that's most enjoyable. Ah, look, that's nice. Somebody says, lovely to hear from Sue. It's been a while because Sue used to come on the show, but she hasn't been on for a while. So um, that's nice that Mm -hmm. somebody's missed her. Um, And that's all for the moment. So if you want to ring in 94190155 or text in on 0488809855. I'm Virginia, and with me are Ben, Craig, and Tim. That Clematis, even try, um, I'd try Stephen Ryan, hmm. but also even um, Alameda Homestead. So they've got those varieties of, of all the, the Clematis. So and she, they, that's what they do there. Yeah. That's all they grow is yeah. Clematis, yeah. Yeah, I know she does a lot of breeding and that sort of thing to produce those big flowers, but she might actually have some of those hmm. smaller species varieties. So I'd probably. Yeah, give them yes, a go. well, we'll yeah. keep we'll keep looking as well because I think mm. Fermi's right. It is around in the trade. We just mm. have to find where. Well, yeah. The trouble with the trade these days is that anything that's a bit slow is is rejected. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and has fall into that category for sure. Yeah. Well, we know someone locally who grows wholesale, so we could ask them if yep. they're doing it. Yeah, which is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what we can do. Mm. Have you got another plant for me? Yeah, I've got the filipendula hexapetala. Um, the Philippangela, it's a real nice sort of ferny, ferny sort of like leaf. Um, this is another one that actually comes from uh, from all over uh, Britain, uh, all the Europe, European areas. So and it sort of grows a nice on sort of grassy, sort of wet wetland areas. Um, so, but the foliage really hugs the ground. It doesn't sort of tend to sort of get much height. The only height you'll get out of this one is when it's actually flowering. So, so flowering sort of size is around about sort of 30, 40, 50 centimetres at the most. Um, and they're a cluster, like a nice big umble of, or a plume of sort of flowers uh, to, together, which is that nice creamy colour. And you'll have like pink tinges, which is the outer coating of the petal. Um, hexapetla refers to as hexa is, uh, refers to six, and petla meaning petal. But when you look at the flower of this particular species, it, it, it actually, it's more of a double flower. So I'm presuming it's actually the, the six layers of petals. So producing, uh, producing that, that, you know, that hexa sort of formation. It's um, a nice spreading foliage plant. Yeah, yeah, it that, is. That's my view of it, but yeah. it doesn't run. It stays really sort of quite 
tight and clumpy, right. so not like some of the other uh, philopendulas. So where, where would you use it in your garden? Where have you got it planted? So I actually have it in uh, – I protect it from late afternoon sun, but mm-hmm. surprisingly it does handle a fair bit of sun. Mm-hmm. Like it's a very sort of quite sort of versatile plant. Because um, they come from sort of open fields in, in, it does, yeah. in Britain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's other varieties of, of philopendulus. There's another one that's very similar to it, which is the philopendula vulgaris. Exactly the same foliage, exactly the same uh, flower, but it gets much taller. Mm. Yeah. So, and that grows from the same same areas as well. Yeah. But uh, just even when it's not flowering, it's just mm. I think when you see the foliage, there's that real fern type mm. type of leaf. Right. Yeah. Well, we've got a very good phone call here, which is rather exciting. Good, good morning, John Arnott. Hey, morning team. How's it going? <laughs> morning, John. Morning. Morning. Uh, just for the listeners to know, John was meant to come in today, but unfortunately hasn't been well, and he never would miss the show unless he really couldn't get here. So we miss you, John. <laughs> Thanks, Virginia. Hey, I'm just taking I'm taking advantage of two things. Uh, one, I had a conversation with uh, Clive Blasey during the week, and two. Um, We've got Tim on the show today. So, so Tim, the conversation that I had with, with Clive, he, he was chasing um, his favourite subalpine eucalyptus, which is one of the eucalyptus porciflora yeah. um, subspecies. And he actually rang me to see if, you know, if we could provide him some seed. So I thought, we, we subsequently had a terrific discussion, uh, went for about half an hour, where I was um, imparting the, the the virtues of not only that snow gum, but the, that whole suite of mm-hmm. um, sub Victorian and New South Wales East Coast uh, sub sub alpine eucalypts. So, so indeed, I am going to flick um, uh, buy some seed. But I, I I was just wondering whether I could sneak in a few more species. Oh, please go for it, John. Yeah, um, <laughs> just just that opportunity to mm. to. Um, so, look, some, some things that came to mind were, I mean, there's five subspecies of um, eucalyptus porciflora. The, the smallest one uh, actually occurs on, as an endemic in, in the Grampians uh, at the top of Mount William. It's porciflora subspecies parvi fructa. Um, but there's also something called a spinning gum, chibonensis, this Gregsoniana, which I think is called the Suggin Buggin Mallee or something similar to that. Um, uh, so there's a whole heap of those sort of east coast high altitude or higher altitude mallees and mallee ashes. So there's you know something called Periniana, which is a spinning gum. There's two or three uh, endemics to the, the, the peaks in the Grampians. And look, all of these aren't likely to get much more than four or five, six metres max. And if they get too big, you can just knock them down to the lignotuber and they'll and they'll grow back. There's even there's even a little one. Um, uh, called Euclidus vernicosa, which is a Tasmanian, I think it's called the varnish gum. Um, and that's a shrub. That's mm. really not likely to get much more than, I don't know, a metre, 1.2. Mm. Um, Euclidus morii in the Blue Mountains is a you know, similar, sort of, similar sort of thing. So, it, look, it was, just a, uh, it was just one of those openings. I know Euclidus and Clive uh, are... Um, I, I would, it, 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 Clive will always say that his favourite um, tree in the Australian flora is eucalyptus, is eucalyptus porciflora. Hmm. Um, but I just saw it as a bit of an opening and I thought I'd be cheeky and oh, it's, while I've got, got the CEO, just, you know, 
hold out the, uh, the, the eucalypt branch. <laughs> uh, yeah, the eucalypt branch rather than the olive branch. Yes, rather than the olive branch. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm, and I'm, would gratefully receive um, uh, the, well, the pores of flora and any selections. I think, um, and thanks for calling in. And it, and it's just reminded me to mention that we've um, recently uh, put to air a, a podcast through the Diggers Foundation on the subject of eucalyptus friend and foe. There's a, we've, Clive's had a long-running discussion that he's um, around the appropriateness of eucalypts in gardening in Australia, as you well know, and that's part of yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what that call is. Um, and and, and it, comes from a, it comes from a place of uh, a real affinity for snow gums, eucalyptus porciflora, uh, but also then, a, a, I guess, a railing against some of the um, uh, eucalyptus plantings close to homes or in bushfire areas and, and opening up a bit, bit of a discussion. And what I would, what I would say to people is that, there's, that we've got five episodes of this podcast where with, on, that, on, that, on that subject. Um, we've got Bruce Pascoe as one of the, um, um, the, the, the um, panellists. We've got Yost Backer. We've got um, Jeremy Francis. We've got Clive himself. And we've also got Greg Moore from yeah, um, Burnley. And in Greg's episode in particular made me... Um, I was thinking about what you were just saying then. Greg talks about the selection and the lack of selection or the future possible selection that is yep. that is potential in the gene pool for eucalypts, whether it be porciflora or whether it be physifolia or whether or whatever it, whatever the, there are there hasn't been as much selection in in the eucalypt no. genera as there has been in much of the sort of the tree flora or the european trees that we that we plant and that's a huge potential there and i what I, and i think if anyone can take something from this debate is that there is an openness to to what's out there and there needs to be more work and more investigation. So the sorts of trees you're talking about there, little little eucalypts, even sort of shrubby eucalypts, let's get them more more in cultivation and get them more in gardens. Well, think how many yeah. people would run for a shrubby mm. eucalypt. I mean, yeah. many people who just, in particularly in the inner city, who 20, 30 years ago kept planting huge eucalypts in yeah. them, and they didn't work and they've all been pulled and that, down. And I think that's what that's the sort of the position that Clive's coming from is we've planted all these eucalypts in gardens that are the wrong trees or the wrong they're the wrong thing. If we've got the right and, thing, then let's go for it and it's going to celebrate. Yeah, exactly. And 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 inherently with with such a such a large group mm. there are going to be things that are just not amenable to cultivation and just shouldn't be shouldn't be grown mm. um, but you know it, I have just reeled off things in the floor of Victoria then but you know you start to Think about some of the things on Kangaroo Island and some of the things from uh, I'm in the Western Australian um, yeah. uh, ornamental eucalypts. Uh, um, maybe a little bit more challenging to to to, to grow, particularly you know if you you know we're we're um, uh, we're you know we're <laughs> walnuts. <laughs> Sorry, what am I trying to say? Um, uh, like in the dandelions, it might be tricky to, to, to. But some of those, but isn't that what's? I mean, we have seen a little bit of this research with some of the Western Australian species, where they're being grafted onto other species, so they can grow in different soil conditions, and and you can get that. That's the kind of development that hasn't yep. happened a hell of a lot yet, mm-hmm. and and I think there's great prospect. And um, this Kings Park are doing some mm. really interesting work on um, tissue culture. Uh, so so making a, a, a selection of something. Not that grafting's not a legitimate uh, technique, it absolutely is. But mm. um, uh, the things are eucalypts tend to be a little bit better on their on their on their own roots, or mm. the graft can fail. We found that with phytopolynes quite a bit recently that um, uh, the graft union can be a bit wacky. Mm. Uh, 
Um, and uh, yeah, Kings Park have been doing some work on some of those colour colour variants of um, uh, Western Australian eucalypts, but putting them onto their onto their uh, own roots, but but cloning. I think grafting might have been a technique to make sure that you had genetic material. But it was growing the clones, basically. It was a way of propagating the clone. Mm. Uh, I, think that, I think that's what's happening, is that that evolution of the of the horticulture is a grafting was what, they were, yeah, perhaps that was due to a, a paucity of material. Now moving into tissue culture, this is a sophisticated level of cultivation or, or horticultural research that we need to get, um, we, need, we need to do to get trees like this in our backyards and working. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. When I was living um, in Footscray, John, I, I, my backyard was west-facing and, and obviously I wanted to grow quite a number of exotic plants when it was just too hot. Too so hot, I, yeah. I used little ukes as an overstory mm. um, because they provide the perfect sort of shade, that dappled shade. Mm. Um, th- there wasn't many around then, but it was in the 80s, but Lecoxin Rosea Dwarf and mm. Praciana were the two that I picked out. Mm. Yeah, yeah nice. And they nice. worked perfectly. Mm. And you think about... Um, uh, you know, the Melton Botanic Gardens have established a, a whole collection of uh, dry land, essentially dry land, semi-arid and arid uh, eucalyptus, and the diversity in that garden is you know, incredible. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's also a wonderful nursery to buy smaller eucalypts. I mean, Melton, is, Melton Botanic Gardens is such a good place to visit. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're, they're doing a great job. But anyway, Tim, I just thought I'd uh, I'd, I thought oh, I'd thanks, uh, carp carp EM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I and and a big shout out to Chloe Foster from Three CR to uh, part of this program, who's the 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 host for our podcast. Um, she yeah. did a great job, and it's a great listen if anyone's got some time to dig a bit deeper and have a bit of a cerebral think about gardening. It's that's what we're we're encouraging people to have a long listen. It's a it's a it's a it's a certainly a thought provoker. I found that series. Fantastic, yeah, and like I say, she had to to talk. Great. Thanks very much, John. John. Bye. Okay, folks, enjoying the show. Catch you later. Certainly, you know, if I was living in a dry land country again, then eucalypts would be high on the list. Mm. Well, look, I think this is the same with anything. Is that you can you can take a polar position. You can take a uh, you know a, a, um, a position where. Uh, it's one it's one brush across everything but the i mean eucalypts are such a diverse Huge genera, genus, yeah. massive i mean not only in australia they actually right. go into subtropical areas i think of right. uh, the rainbow gum eucalyptus deglupta which is up right. in, in the subtropics from right the way through the little mallee shrubs so mm. it's it's again about exactly what i was saying about before know your garden know what you want mm. and then get informed about what plants you're going to use yeah whether it be within eucalypts or anything in your whole garden. What I like about them is the shade they provide. Yeah, that it, dappled it, it, light. Dappled light. They're yeah. very open, open canopy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, if you're going to garden underneath it, or if you're if that's your motivation, you want to get dappled light, great. But in some people, they want a deeper shade for somewhere to sit cool in the summer. Yeah. Then maybe they aren't the tree. But that's, well, that's their decisions. Well, Phyosophilia does have yeah. a, deep, yeah. a deeper shade, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yes, somebody from Liz from our Macedon phoned in saying she's been trying to source seed from smaller eucalypts but having trouble finding them. Well, we have two a little, which is why, hence the call that Clive and John had last week because mm. we've been trying to get um, a particular um, a subspecies of Porsa flora. So it, uh, and I don't have the answer to that. 
actually. So what about Karanga? Well, they, they might have some small ones there, but even um, not as friends, seed, though. yeah, know the do. friends of um, Cranbourne Gardens, they yeah. have their shows on. Yeah, maybe they should grow some. Somebody, somebody texted in, and I lost the message. Somebody texted in before to say that the friends of both um, Melbourne Botanic Gardens and Cranbourne Botanic Gardens have wonderful sales, which yeah, is another place do. to find really yes. unusual plants. Yeah, maybe yeah. they should start doing the, the mm. small eucalypts as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and start a movement. But, yeah, yeah. But it also, like Johnny's. Melton, <laughs> Melton does do it. They do yeah, do it, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Melton has a lot it's of... It's a great resource, the Melton Botanic Gardens. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's fabulous because yeah. it's beautiful as well. It's beautiful and it's, you know, it's Melton, which is not an easy place to garden yeah, necessarily. Yeah, that's right. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why it's such a valuable resource. Mm. Yes, I, th- I think that's right. Now, we've got time maybe for one or two more plants. Craig, you've got something else there? Oh, look, for those of you who like Berberus thumbergii hybrids, if you want one for autumn colour, Silver Beauty mm. is the choice. It's, it's a ripper and holds its leaves for a long time. Yeah. We've just suddenly got a call in. Let's take that because we're toward the end of our show. It's Annie from Rosanna. Hi, Annie. Hello there. Thanks for the show. It's great. Good um, I've got a, a Cecil Penia gillisai, a bird of paradise tree. Are you familiar with that one? Cecil Penia, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've had it, I don't know, I, I think I planted it earlier when I established the garden about 30 years ago. And it's a beautiful tree, light foliage, flowers, spring through summer. And mine is dying, about three quarters of it. Um, How appears old is to it? Be about 30 years, I'd say. Mm, I... Yeah. So I don't know whether it's just dying of old age or some other. There are, if I'm getting the right thing, it's um, there are um, probably short-lived sort of colonist kind of species, like a, a pioneer species. Um, um, and I don't they, know. They I mean, don't... It's a nati- it was a native of uh, Argentina. Yeah, yeah, with a lot of sort of pea-like yeah. flower. Yes, um, yes, it's a legume. Yeah. yeah, it's a legume. And I don't think they're particularly long-lived. I would have thought 30 years is actually a pretty good innings for one of those. Mm. Yeah. So it might be it's just... It's uh, it's end of life is calling. Right. So it's a beautiful thing, and I was hoping to replace it, but I can't track it down anywhere. And uh, it did say on on a website that, that you can um, cultivate it from a sort of hardwood cutting. So is that worth trying? If Absolutely a, worth trying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you've got so some good health. Can you give me bits. some advice on how to maximise my success with that? Do either of you guys do hardwood cuttings? Occasionally, I do them in the ground. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And in the what, winter. In the winter, mm. into what? In, when you say in the ground, what sort of like sharp ground? Sharp raised beds. Yep. So, yep. so you, so with a hardwood cutting, you're doing it in dormancy. Do you use a rooting hormone? Or, no, no. So no hormone, and and you you want to make sure that it's not too wet before right. it starts to strike callus and yeah. strikes. Yeah, yeah. Wet would be a killer. Yeah. Yeah. So it's suggested putting it into peat and sand, a peat and sand mix. Would that be? I think the peat might make it a bit too wet. Yeah, I think yeah. for winter cuttings, you don't mm. need the peat. Mm. Sand right. would probably enough. Sand and soil. Yeah. yeah. You want because yeah. the, the peat will hold point... too much moisture and could rot the callus. Right. Yeah. And what point of the growth? Where I mean, it's just, like what's the difference between a hardwood and a semi-hardwood cutting, for example. Oh, well, if it's going to be in winter, it's a hardwood cutting. It's, yeah. it's going to be the stiff tissue, so you can't so bend it. Last year's growth. Yeah, last year's growth. And maybe last year's growth. maybe yep. pencil thick. Yeah, you don't want to make sure you don't go into the third year. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's usually the, that previous season's growth yeah. is what you want. Yeah. So. Right, okay. 
It's such a lovely thing. I can't understand why it's not more available or it's not cultivated. What about seed? Does it say seed? Uh, well, it says you can get seeds. Yes. Well, that's Has it yours ever thing, set seed? I don't if it's know if I'll live long enough. That's trouble. <laughs> oh, if you, if you get seed, it'll go quickly. Like if, really? if it's a legume, yeah. if it's a legume, I would have, yeah, it, just, it, it might be easier. If you if you're getting flower and seed pods, maybe try that. Right, there's a few left. Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay, thanks very much. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. Good luck, Annie. Thank Keep you. Trying. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Right. Well, we're going to have to go now. Next. Can I do a quick shout yes. out, please? Uh, very quick. Um, I just wanted to shout out um, the Farm My School, um, which is an organisation diggers have been working with. Uh, they've, they've got an open day at the Bellarine Peninsula Primary Secondary School on Thursday, 4 o'clock. Costa is coming down. Uh, these guys are doing some great work um, setting up a pilot um, farming program alongside a, a high school, and we've been working with them as part of our Seed the Future program. We've donated all the seed to their program. Um, so jump on online if anyone's down the Bellarine Peninsula Geelong Way. Farm my school Thursday afternoon, 4 o'clock at the Bellarine Secondary College. I'll be there too, but Costa's more of a draw card than I am. <laughs> I think you're an enormous draw card, no, Tim. No, Costa's definitely a bigger draw card than me. <laughs> now, thank you to everybody who's been listening. Next week, Chloe will be on for you, so I hope you've enjoyed the show and we will. I'm very keen to see you again next week and if you're around, go to Mifkus today. It's meant, We wouldn't have a clue sitting in this studio. It was sunny when I arrived and there exactly. was balloons in the air, so it was a beautiful it, day. It looked like it was going to be an absolutely lovely day, so it would be an excellent day to be there. And you'll see Jane there, you'll see Diggers there, you'll see um, Karanga there. There's lots of lots of familiar bits and pieces. Thanks very much, everybody. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.